are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. You are listening to Toward Anarchy on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Here's your host, Michael Storm. Welcome to Toward Anarchy. I am Michael Storm. Oh man, it is a beautiful day and it's, uh, it's always, as always, a pleasure to be here. I'm live and worldwide across the Republic Broadcasting Network. Uh, republicbroadcasting.org support the network support the show support all of the voices across the network uh, click that button that all important support button up there or call the number and talk to somebody at the network and they will help you uh, make a donation the donations that have kept this network on the air for years and will continue to keep it on the air uh, and offer these amazing free voices and all these different t- It's it's an interesting time right now uh, being a being an anarchist, being somebody who does not care about the politics of the whole thing, uh, in in so much as as there's nothing that I can do about it, and I don't believe that it functions, that that it doesn't work. So why bother? Um, I I I sit back and I watch the changes, the swings from left to right, and the and the hits from one side to the other as they take shots at at destroying each other's ideals and and it's unfortunate because as one as one side makes a play the other side hardens up and and calcifies and and prepares to strike back and it's it's just a war it's it's just a battle it's a never ending battle that keeps normal people busy fighting with other normal people about stuff that they shouldn't have to be worried about in the first place. A lot of it is personal ideals and choices and things that don't affect other people uh, so many times. Uh, even those ones that you don't like, the things like abortion, That's with that being such a big left versus right issue when it should just be a common sense issue that government stays out of that you stay out of and let other people deal with this this is uh, all of these things across the board these political and social opinions that that are enforced upon us at the barrel of a gun just because 51 people uh, out of 100 think it's the best thing for all of us all 100 of us and and so i sit back and i watch and i watch the battles go back and forth and i watch it get worse and i watch it become even and even less effective and and what troubles me is because there are people a whole bunch of people in the middle that don't pick sides until something like this comes up normally they they have no say in politics they'll even tell you that they they don't follow politics and then and they they don't want to talk about it and they try to avoid it and they they just go on about their lives and hope that they don't have to really brush up against any 
political problems. And, but then a social thing comes up, something social, something that they find personal and and that they think is uh, moral or extremely important to their own core nature or what they believe should be the, the core nature of man, right? And and so then they pick a side and they choose a side and it's and they're choosing sides in a losing battle. The only the only win here is freedom for everybody and that we get rid of this this thing that's riding on our backs. Just take the saddle of government and, and its riders off of us. Just push undo the latigo and just let it fall off right off your back and, and just trot right along without it as we do every single day every our entire existence every moment of every day that's really at the the heart even though that i don't preach it i've said over and over again that i don't want the ideas the the core values of the show to become a a meme or or just a a generic statement you know? but but i do have a a consistent thought about what anarchy is and and what what it means to us as individuals and it's that idea that we live in anarchy every day every second of every day and this is realized in the fact that you and i and them and they him and her uh, <laughs> they, we make these these choices all of them to to create the world around us and to participate in the world around us and and we influence things and people and we do it all without the consideration of what so-called authority tells us is important what the, we don't care about their opinion we just do this every single day every every second of every day in uncountable interactions and transactions with each other where where most of the time we're saying gee i wish government wasn't involved in this transaction i wish authority had no say in this if anything we're 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 thinking there should be less authority over any of the decisions that we make other than our own right i i, I think it's self-evident other people do too uh and and it's unfortunate that 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 it's considered to be somewhere kind of in the middle of this so-called uh, uh, left versus right democracy, republic, uh, this political game, this false paradigm. It's not. Anarchy's not in the middle. It's not the wishy-washy libertarian view. Oh, my guest today might be offended by that. Um <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll ask about his views on on the real real power and and truth behind voting. Uh, it's not in the middle. I'm not in the middle. Anarchy is not in the middle. The left and the right are both way over there on the scale of socialism to liberty. That's it. That's it. if it, if it was one to ten, I don't care whichever way. Ten being the most one being the least amount of freedom socialism total anarchy socialism that way 
anarchy that way. The left and the right follow fall in between. They're the ones in the middle. And, and those poor libertarians. I, seriously, I have no problem talking with the libertarians. I just know that they 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 get this this palpable sense of um, um, derision sometimes at their ideas because I don't. I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I don't hold back at any point, but I certainly am not one who's likely to hold back from someone who thinks they're better. You know, this is this is the libertarian, right? Their way is better. It's still it's still minarchist. It's still uh, statism, light, whatever you want to call it. It's still this notion that you can control a, a central. That you, I, I I'm not even really sure what it is because I think it's proven itself over and over again that it doesn't matter that you can't. You, you can't influence this thing. It, it's a creature. It's in and of itself. The, a lot of these people, they like Mises, and, and they should know uh, Crisis in Leviathan. Even if you've never read it, uh, if you understand the premise of it, it's that Leviathan, this giant monster called government, this the, the unstoppable beast that's just everywhere into everything uh, uses crisis to control the narrative and to control the people it, it creates it at times uh, ask any 9-11 truther uh, if they believe that if they understand that it, 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 because that should be what's at the core of their their argument for 9-11 truth right is that the government uses crisis uh, to seize control to seize more power to make itself stronger to grow itself and there's no stopping it there's no stopping it there's there's just going along going along get getting along to go along going along to get along that's it going along to get along and and that's that's all i see people doing in this whereas the alt alternative choice is the the harder choice it's but it's the smarter choice it's the one that takes a little bit more work. You don't have to let government. Uh, you're not. You're not counting on government to do anything for you. You're not waiting for it to defend you or protect you. You're not waiting for it to make a decision or the people around you to raise their hands and cast a vote and say we say it's okay for you to do this. You just do these things and you pursue them and and you may come in to, to clash with. Uh, those around you, those those political and social opinions that that drive so much of the government and its decisions and and the things that uh, it creates in terms of laws and thefts and and the people, the positions, the the jobs that it creates to manage the bureaucracy. They're not jobs that otherwise would need to exist at all uh, within the paradigm of government, uh, except for the fact that, they, that it keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger. The Leviathan keeps growing and getting bigger and, and becoming more and more of a beast. And, and, and you can make that argument, well, well we're going to change some things and, and we're going to uh, um, take away some of the powers some of the money some of the 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 
controls that government has over us, and that's going to make things better, except that you you never really see that. That never really happens. Nothing ever changes. Things things go almost in an in it, it seems natural, but it's not because they're already they've already altered the reality for things. It, it, let me give you an example. This is something that pops into my head because this is something that happens to me all the time. Uh, and it's something that happens to people all the time, all over, all over America. And so they get it, whether they understand it in these terms or not. When you go into a grocery store, you go into the, the gas station, the Seven Eleven, the Conoco, whatever on the corner there, and, and you get gas and you buy a pack of cigarettes or you buy some of these cheap cigars that I smoke, these, these you know, four or five of them for 99 cent terrible, horrible things that I mostly chew on. Um, you, you get carded. And you get carded for that product because the state says, the city says, the county says, whoever, somebody says you have to, that these people have to card you and they have to make sure that they have to police your purchasing, your um, um, your economics. They've, they have to police you. And some people like this. They get off on it. But most people don't want to do this. Most companies don't want to do this. They don't care what you're buying. If it's a product they can sell, buy it, put your money down in the store, get the hell out of the store so they can get on to the next customer. I, that's that's. I, it sounds a little bit harsh the way I'm putting it, but that's the reality. These stores don't want to police your behavior. They don't want to police your purchases. They don't want a part of this. But they do it anyway, and it becomes a natural thing for them to do. And they don't use any common sense about it, especially today. It's changed today. You know, when you used to go into the store, you had to show them your ID. So it continues to get worse. So it's bad enough you already have to show them your ID. I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old man, and I have to show my ID to buy a pack of cigars. It's ridiculous. It's uh, right on the surface. The the whole notion of it is just ridiculous. It's the only word that I can even use for it because you can look at me and tell, even in my most clean cut, with as much gray shaved off, I already don't have any hair, so I just shave, and, and and if you couldn't see that that gray in the beard and what's left on the top of my head, uh, you can still look at me and tell that I'm a full-grown adult, that I should be making my own decisions, and that nobody should be carding me. And somebody made a mistake when they pushed the buttons this time around. I renewed my license, and they actually gave me clearance to fly. I've never had it before. They have never given it to me before because I've been stopped coming into the country with small electronic devices. I was <laughs> detained at uh, DIA for uh, quite some time trying to explain to um, um, people with with guns and, and badges why uh, why I had small electronic devices in my. It was nice of them to stop me on the way back in. <laughs> They, they clearly, nobody was concerned about it. It stopped me. Nobody stopped me from getting on the plane to Heathrow. <laughs> they let me fly all the way across that big puddle of water there, all the way back into Denver before somebody said, hey, maybe we should look at these things in this. Uh, 
I have to show my ID uh, as a 50-year-old man to, to make a purchase. But now the, you don't even show the ID. I just keep it backwards. I have one of those little money clips. And my I and it holds my ID too, and it actually works perfect for the Kansas ID. I don't know about others, but the thing that they have to scan is uh, there's two barcodes on the back of it, and they only need to scan one of them. And you know, scanners will try to read both of them at the same time. So it's great. My little uh, my little money clip covers it right up. So they never even make me take it out of it. I just lift it up, and they see that the other one's covered up, and they scan the one that they want. I might be illegal to say so. I've thought, okay, so I've thought about using other people's IDs um, <laughs> to to buy my cigarettes when my, or not my cigarettes, my cigar, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, uh, my cigars when uh, when my ID was invalid. And nobody will look. So it's, 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 but the, these stores, they do it. Naturally, oh, it, 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 the technology, it's easy. We made it easy on ourselves. Well, here's the thing. You can make it even easier on yourself. You wouldn't even need the technology. Refuse. Refuse to enforce laws that they claim are, are in their purview. They should enforce them. It shouldn't be the retailer's problem. And And I know that retailers can get away with this because they do it all the time. They just tell the authority no. There's one gas station that I shop at all the time. When in in necessity, I'll go to other ones, but there's one that I will shop at all the time because it's locally owned, uh, employs um, uh, men who carry guns, uh, and are prepared to defend their their property and their store and their customers. And uh, uh, they don't card people. They refuse to do it. I asked the, I asked the owner about it one day. I said, "Why do you guys don't card people?" He said, "No, they come in here and they tell us all the time to do it, and we just refuse to do it. We just won't do it." And they've been in business for years, and they continue to be in business. And 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 I I don't know I don't know anything more beyond that. But they refuse, and so there you go. There's a long tirade and and story about how it works, how we can live in anarchy every single day as we already do uh just simply refuse 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 to participate refuse to give them any more money than you absolutely have to they steal so much of it you don't really have a choice and i know we all have to work and we all have to do what we have to do to take care of our families but that doesn't that that doesn't stop you from finding every other single way all the business people do it everybody does it i, I just see it all the time it's funny how often I see people trying to find ways around what government has done to them, whether it's products they want to buy, prices they want to pay, uh, currencies they want to use, whatever it is, constantly working to find a way around government uh, impediments to uh, our social uh, and economic lives. And that's what my guest and I will talk about a lot today. Stefan Kinsella is my guest. We'll add him to the conversation in about 10 minutes, and we'll be right back here on Toward Anarchy. Point your computer's browser or your your pocket tracking device's uh, browser to towardanarchy.com to follow along, as always. Uh, if you're with me live, 
It's July 3rd, and it should be right there on the front page. You'll see Stefan Kinsella, uh, my guest today. He'll join the conversation here in just about five minutes or so. We'll, we'll add him in after this next break here. Uh, but to go to TowardAnarchy.com. Look for July 3rd. Uh, if you're not, um, did I say, <laughs> did I miss a, okay. I, I have to double check all these things because I do it all manually. There's nothing automatic about any of the, the pages that I create every week, except that I, I have a template that I use. And, and sometimes I forget to change the, the things from June to to july sometimes sometimes it's a link sometimes it's something you can actually see but it seems to all be functioning properly today but it's just amazing how many times i can try to make sure that i i get it perfectly and and i'll still find something that doesn't work but this is working perfectly if you're not with me if it's not july 3rd at, at sort of 1 30 in the afternoon uh on a beautiful sunday uh, then then click on the episodes button at TowardAnarchy.com and 2022, and you'll find July there, and you'll see July 3rd, Stefan Kinsella. He's an anarchist, an author, a lawyer, an electrical engineer, somebody sort of after my own heart, I guess. Uh, I, I, I dabble in all of those things. Well, writing i try to avoid that as much as possible. But I, I've even worked. I'm not, I'm not an EE myself. But I've worked with them, and I've worked. I've done the work of EEs without being uh, one, and participated in it. I worked for Logical Devices, uh, supporting the the Chipmaster series, and and a number of other uh, in system and out of system uh, programmers, device programmers. Um, you know, modders for cars. You'll understand these these little dongles and things that you can plug into your car and do updates. You can update the chip, the brain on your car. Those are the types of, of devices. It, it, it's ways to program uh, integrated circuits. And I worked with that company for five years, I guess. And, uh, man, we, did, we had some fun. We did some neat, interesting things. But uh, this uh, Stefan Kinsella fellow, um, he's a, a, a big name, I guess, in the anarchist movement and, and libertarian movement. And I've heard of him. I know of him. I do not know him. Uh, we happen to um, have, a, I guess, a, a common friend or two, and so we've bumped up against each other now. And I had to have him on the show. I, I had to because he's another one of these people. Look, I. It's it's a special conversation. All my all my conversations, all my guests are special. Um, some of them more special than others. But it, no, they're special. The conversations, my guests, they're special to me. But they don't necessarily mean anything to listeners. They're they're not necessarily. You know, when I have a conversation with Matt Hawkins, the, the people in the Liberty Movement don't care. Most of them probably don't even know who he is. So that's an important conversation to me. It's not necessarily as important to the listeners. But I think this is one of those, one of these times ac across the network. Stefan is, uh, he's in, in Texas. He's in Houston. Uh, so he's in your, your area there in the network. And uh, so people know him. But uh, people know him across the board. And he's become a, a member of the Mises Caucus, I guess, and a part of the Libertarian Party now. So that's why I was saying about he, he might be offended by uh, the the notion of uh, the derision that I will poke at libertarians oftentimes. Uh, but 
I had to have the conversation with him because he knows about a lot of the things that I talk about. He's he's respected for knowing and understanding a lot of things that uh, I talk about in this show. And and he has a perspective that is valuable and is valid, and I want to hear it, but I think other people do too, and that what's, that's what makes the conversation today a little bit different. So uh, TowardAnarchy.com, July 3rd to follow along. There's a link to StephanKinsella.com. There's also a link to the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, um, there, that's a great little place. It's a growing collection of work to, a, aimed at showing how uh, government impedes innovation and creativity. That's what I was saying uh, uh, just earlier. How it just it, it gets in the way with all of our our social and economic activities and, and interventions into our our personal and economic lives. There's also a couple other links there, including an article about. Uh, our how DNA has changed our understanding of how how species are related to each other and where they might develop and and how seemingly similar uh, uh, species develop differently and apart from each other and they do so for very particular reasons they're they're not related to each other uh, and more there at TowardAnarchy.com we will add Stephen Kinsella to the conversation next here on Toward Anarchy. Uh, we're trying to figure it out here. For some reason, it's not letting me add Stefan to the conversation. It'll let me try to add other people to the conversation, but not him. So it's something specific to to his settings or something or his device that he's got going on there. Uh, I will attempt to continue that. Otherwise, we will we will call on the phone. Uh, have a, we'll place my current call on hold. Yeah, I can't do that. Can I? Will it add me? I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, it would hang up. Did I just lose? Did I just lose the network? Okay, all right. I, I, I heard a funny click in there. Hey, there we go. All right, so it looks like we might be connected together. I um, see, um, Stefan. Yeah, I'm here. Um, you won't see me. I do not have my camera hooked up. Um, so you could go ahead and if you want to turn off the camera, it's fine. Well, um can I let me call right back from my computer because I have a better mic on that one. Okay, all right, that sounds great. We will do that. Uh, so, all right, so while we're getting that uh, cooked up, that's cool. I, I guess I pushed the right button. I, that was a weird button. I'd never seen it before. It's amazing how I can have used this thing for years and years and still not know. Uh, okay, so uh, go to towardanarchy.com. Yeah, no, it looks everything looks great Hold now. On. <laughs> put some things together grab a headset so you can hear what i'm saying uh go to towardanarchy.com if you want to follow along look for okay. july can you 3rd. hear me now yeah you look great everything's fine there i can hear you and uh yeah everything seems to be working fine now and we're still connected to the network yes <laughs> that's always the trick question did we did we stay connected yeah that was a weird thing. I've never seen it do that before. That's what I was saying. I don't know. Um, uh, I've used this program for years, and it still amazes me when it doesn't do something or something changes and it looks different. TowardAnarchy.com to follow along. If you're not with us live, just click the Episodes button there. Look for 2022, July 3rd. You see Stephen Kinsella, anarchist, author, 
lawyer, electrical engineer. We're going to talk economics. Uh, we're going to uh, get into digital things. I, man, we're just going to go where the conversation uh, leads us. And if you like what you hear, you like what you hear from Stefan, uh, visit stephankinsella.com, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-K-I-N. Uh, S-E-L-L-A dot com. It's there at TowardAnarchy.com, as well as a link for the uh, Center for uh, the Study of Innovative Freedom, which is a, a place, a space that I need to spend a little bit more time when I was looking around it uh, in the last couple of weeks. I, I really like what I see there, and I like the, the work that's growing there. And, and it's this collection of, of work aimed at, at proving uh, that government just impedes uh, sort of creativity and innovation and and all of these these anarchist things these things that we do sort of every single day usually without a a thought or consideration for what authority thinks about what we're doing. Um, I, Stefan, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Uh, as a student of economics, I understand how valuable time is, and I know you're a busy person. You're a well-respected uh, speaker and and uh, 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 just uh, all around uh, kind of a guy after my own heart from what it seems like. You know, I've heard your name around in these circles for years now. I don't personally know a lot about you. I'm a, I'm a bad fan in that respect. I, I just want the, the good information, and I don't keep around these sort of um, uh, they're like uh, collecting sports cards is what I liken it to. Uh, you know, these guys that can read off all the sports stats from, ba- from their Babe Ruth cards and their, their, uh, Brett Favre, uh, collector cards and things like that. And, and I find that a lot of people are like that with sort of, uh, libertarian and anarchist ideas where they can rattle off these, these names and these, uh, uh quotes from people, but then, when you put them to task with uh, the individual morality and action uh, uh, in regards to anything, be it social or economic or political, whatever it is, uh, they, they fail the test. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting in and talking with you about this, especially after the way we met, because I imagine you come into the conversation maybe thinking a little bit that I'm one of the leftist sort of anarchists, or that uh, that I might uh, be uh, not quite what I say I am, but I think we'll find by the, the end of the conversation that we probably agree on uh, sort of about 99% of the things. So again, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Sure, happy to do it. Yeah, uh, so let's dive right in and talk about, it, 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 tell me a little bit about yourself, because again, I'm a bad fan and I don't know, I just know what I've seen up there. Uh, you're obviously an educated guy and you're you're politically active and, and you're out there making some moves and you're putting your voice and your ideas on the line, and so I respect that. Uh, and, and I'm always ready and open to hear uh, those voices. Well, yeah, I'm, an, uh, I'm kind of a... Um... A patent attorney, but I'm also uh, in my avocation. I'm um, been a, a long a student of Austrian economics and uh, electrical engine. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, in libertarianism, and um, I have been interested in that since high school. So I've and my primary interest since I've been a turn uh, since I've been an attorney, and even before that, um, has been in um, developing and understanding libertarian theory. So most of my writing is is sort of scholarly and aimed at developing and advancing libertarian theory in different areas. It's you could think of it as legal theory in a way because really all libertarianism is about law, like what the law should be. 
So it's, it's, it's in a way it's legal theory. But um, my focus has been on uh, property rights and aggression and rights and punishment and causation and contract theory and intellectual property too because I'm a patent attorney, which is a type of intellectual property law. So um, in my legal side, I've been a practicing patent attorney, but in my libertarian side, I've been writing about the patent and the copyright system Oh, since about 1995. So, um, and I've been I've been opposed to the system. Sure. As a libertarian, um, since I since I I, I I thought closely about it, uh, right around the time I passed the patent bar in 1994, I came to the conclusion that the patent and copyright system are completely um, unjust and illegitimate and incompatible with free market and libertarian and individual rights and property rights principles. Well, yeah, because it, I, the way I see it is it becomes this uh, a catch-all notion for what property could be or should be within the legal system as opposed to – to me, intellectual property is, is a circumstance. It's not the, – the real question in regard to any property is did someone take it from me? Did they deprive me of something? And And there doesn't need to be – uh, a special set of laws to protect a a special set of property because property is already protected. It's already Correct. yeah, That's a, right. and yeah. So what we it's, need it's, to do it's like when people say um, I have a right to free speech, mm. um, or I have a right to liberty, or a right to life. You don't really have those as primary rights. Those are more consequences of your basic property rights. So right, if you own your body and if you own uh, your home. You can say whatever you want there, but it's not because you have a right to free speech. And conversely, if you go into someone else's property and they don't want you to speak, you don't have their permission, then you don't have the right to speak. So there is no independent right to speech uh, or even life because you know if you commit a crime, you can be killed <laughs> in self-defense. Well, right. That's natural law, right? I mean the ultimate yeah. consequence of ignoring somebody else's property rights, be it they themselves, their body, or their, you know, their physical you know, house, whatever it is is that they could kill you for ignoring their property rights. Yeah, and the, and the, the problem the problem uh, usually goes with um, lack of clear definitions. So um, what has happened is that the government has never had a perfectly libertarian system, although aspects of it are compatible with libertarianism, like mm. property rights and free markets and uh, you know laws against murder. But the government always distorts and messes things up, and so they started passing these laws which protected people from competition, which was the patent system. So it basically protected favored people from – it said you're the only person who can sell this product or whatever. Um, you're the only guy who can sell wine in this town or you know, things like that. That became the patent system, and then copyright came from the government's attempt to, um, to censor speech. So it came from the attempt to prevent what could be printed in books after the printing press came about, and that evolved into the copyright system. So copyright is is a government-granted monopoly privilege that basically amounts to censorship. It allows, it allows authors to censor people from publishing books they don't want them to publish, and the patent system uh, is a government-granted monopoly privilege that per, that allows inventors to prevent people from competing with them. And they're both contrary to freedom and property rights and capitalism and the free market… Um, and in the 1800s, uh, when the system started really having um, adverse effects because it was institutionalized, starting in the in the late 1700s with the U.S. Constitution and the the early American system, um, the free market economists started 
criticizing patent and copyright. They called them monopoly privileges. They said, you know, government should have a free market. We should have free trade. <coughs> People shouldn't be protected from competition, and they shouldn't be able to censor uh, what books are printed using these government uh, orders. And and in response to this criticism from the free market economists, the defenders of patent and copyright, because by now there had been special interest groups that had risen up that had been profiting from these groups like the publishing industry and certain inventor groups, um, they defended the attack on government monopoly privilege grants by rebranding it as intellectual property. They said it's not a privilege granted by the government. It's a type of property right. And and everyone said, well, how's it a property right if it expires in 17 years mm. and if it's intangible? And the response was, well, it's a special type of property. It's uh, intellectual property because it comes from the creations of the mind. So it, it's all a propaganda attempt to call it property. And then libertarians and free market people and capitalists and conservatives get confused because we generally have a favorable – impression of what things that are property and property rights that's why sure. the, that's why the defenders called it property is to is to disguise its true nature right sure so they succeeded and libertarians make the mistake of saying well is it property or is our ideas property or are they not property which is not the question the question right. is the question is what do property rights apply to and how are they how are they determined and property rights have always been um, um, a mechanism to to, to address the problem of scarcity in the world. That is, we have a world of rivalrous material, scarce resources that can only be used by one person at a time, meaning that people have can have a conflict over them. You can only have one user of a thing at a time. And so to prevent fighting and conflict over these things, we develop property rights that allocate owners to these things. So the question is never, is something property? The question is, who has a property right in a given contestable thing? And ideas are not contestable things. It's just knowledge that guides people's actions, and any number of people can use the same knowledge at the same time to use their own property rights, their own property, and their own resources as they wish. So the whole thing is confused, and uh, it's bamboozled even libertarians and free market advocates and, 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 and even some anarchists, unfortunately. Although I would say that in the last 20 years, there's been a growing consensus among – the more radical and principled libertarians, by which I mean Austrians, Rothbardians, anarchists, and even some left libertarians um, about about intellectual property. So most libertarians that are principled and hardcore, I would say, understand that patent and copyright are totally illegitimate. The remaining libertarians who are confused tend to be the watered-down, moderate, utilitarian types, uh, the, the minarchists and, uh, and the Chicago types. Um, what I it's interesting that you say that because it, it, when I you you use some certain language there and and one of the problems that I've had in having these conversations with people is that they miss uh, they completely miss the point that I'm I'm trying to make with these things I've I've never called for a government intervention into these things uh, I've always suggested that every claim should be uh, adjudicated on its merits. It, it doesn't matter whether you what the property is or what the individual claims their property is. It's about the 
the claim itself. Have I been violated? Can it be proven? Exactly. Is there demonstrable exactly. damages? Right. Yeah. These are, yeah, that's and, what and that, and that attitude, that attitude is compatible with what I said before about how right. property rights are a response to the problem of conflict. And all laws are basically an implementation of some property rights theory. And laws develop from conflict and from people when they have a dispute or a claim, as you say, they go to a, a dispute resolution tribunal, you know, an arbitration or a court or something like that. And the, you have two parties and they both claim a resource, even if the resource is money owned by the other one. Like, uh, you know, you hurt me, you owe me money. Right. The, the, still, the, it's always a property claim over a contestable scarce resource. And then the court has to answer that dispute by, or, or decide the dispute by resorting to principles of justice. And the principles of justice have always been the, the conventional, natural, traditional, private, libertarian ones of first first use of a resource that was unowned gives you ownership mm. or if you acquire the resource um, by contract from a previous owner. So those are the two fundamental principles of private law. The way you determine who owns a resource is to ask who had it first and did you get it by contract. That's who the owner is. And then a third principle would be if there's been an offense or a tort committed by someone in which they owe damages or restitution to someone, in, in which case you can take their property from them in that way. So you basically have to show one of those three things. So if, 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 I, have, uh, if I have a new invention or if I sell a book and someone copies my invention to, to compete with me or if they copy my book… If I want to sue them in court, which is what a patent or copyright holder does, I need to prove that either I own their raw material that they're mm -hmm. using to turn into a book or a machine, which I don't because I but didn't buy, I didn't buy it from them. There's no contract, and they, I didn't homestead it. So then the only remaining thing is, did I commit? Did they commit a tort against me? And the IP advocate will say, yeah, they committed a tort. They trespassed against your intellectual property. But that, but that's question begging, of course, because the question is. Do you have this so-called IP right, and you only have it if there was a tort? So the question is when someone competes with me by making a copy of my book, did they commit a trespass against anything that I owned? They didn't invade the borders of my factory or my, or my, or my home. They didn't breach a contract with me because they don't have a contract with me. So what tort did they commit? They, they just use their property in a certain way, and you could say, well, they stole my customers. Well, I don't own my customers. <laughs> I don't have a property right in my customers. And you could say, well, they stole the money I could have made by selling money to customers no. if I would had a monopoly. It's like, well, you don't have a property right in a future stream of income either because your customers own that money. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great spot to leave. We've got to go into a break, and we will come right back. We're talking with Stefan Kinsella. It's economics. It's the morality. It's intellectual property. Uh, we'll get into crypto and NFTs and some digital things next. We'll find out where they fall in this game. Short segment here just before we hit the top of the hour. And so, uh, Stefan, I want to ask you a direct question. The only problem is, is I've never asked anybody the question before, and so I don't exactly know how to put it. I have this idea in my head about how it's supposed to be. Um, but uh, let me fr let me frame it for you real quick. And, and so I think that private property is a very easy thing to understand. So setting aside unclaimed property and so-called public property, private property is very, very easy to understand. Uh, you recognize my property rights or I defend them. And I uh, I recognize that all property that is not mine belongs to somebody else that's really that's really very simple and so the question is then 
directly regarding property rights and and recognizing other people's property rights is it is it right to say that the most important uh, part of recognizing property rights is not that other people recognize my property rights per se is that i recognize what other people believe to be their property I think that's a, a, a reasonable way of putting it because there's an aspect of a property rights and a legal system and civilization and society of this mutual sort of respect for each other's rights. Like there's an there's an implicit or explicit agreement among people. Um, in a way, the reason I would say that my neighbor has rights is because he agrees to respect my rights. Mm. So because he's willing to respect my rights, I'm willing to respect his. If he's not willing to respect my rights, then I don't respect his. In other words, if he acts like a criminal – or an animal towards me, then I have to regard him as what Hans Hermann Hoppe calls, uh, you know, a, t a, a, a technical, uh, a technical problem. Like, it, you can't deal with it in the field of politics or morality okay. or law. You have to deal with it like with a gun or with the defensive measure. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think there's a mutual aspect to it, which is why there's something a little bit something in mutualism, although they go off the rails with their left libertarian ideas. But um, yeah, I think property rights is a natural, intuitive thing. I mean, even even animals have a crude version of that. You know, a dog will growl when you when you approach his bowl. Um, and by the way, as an anarchist, you have to understand this as well. Patent and copyright um, cannot emerge in a natural common law, um, traditional way. They have to come about by legislation. Which is how they always did come about, and anarchists don't believe in, in legislators because we, legislatures because we don't believe in the government. So, if you're an anarchist, you cannot support intellectual property because you can't support legislation. Uh, I mean, the first patent act was the Statute of Monopolies in 1623 in England, and then the U.S. Patent Act in 1790, which were both legislation. And then copyright came from the Statute of Anne in England in 1710, and then the sta the first patent act in the U.S. a uh, copyright act in the U.S. in 1790. So these are purely legislated schemes. Just like the Environmental Protection Agency or the or the IRS or the Federal Reserve, things that are totally unnatural, artificial, and purely the results of, of legislation, which is a criminal – it's a criminal, non-natural way of so-called making law. Law should not be made. It should be found or discovered yeah. uh, naturally in the universe. Well, and, and right, and, and, and when it comes to justice, justice is enacted in the moment in defense of self or property or – Self is property, or uh, later uh, by an arbitration, uh, some an arbiter, somebody who looks at your claim, the facts, and makes a decision based on our understanding, our mutual understanding of natural law uh, and, and and precedent and other things. So, uh, yeah, uh, this this conversation is fantastic, and we're going to continue it here uh, right after the top of the hour. Uh, with Stephanie Kinsella. We'll be right back. RBN, John Statmiller's Republic Broadcasting Network, republicbroadcasting.org. Into hour number two, go to towardanarchy.com to follow along. Look for July 3rd if you're not with us live already. StephanKinsella.com. Also, it's, it's, it's C, the number four, SIF.org. That's the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, a place that I will find myself spending a bit more time uh, here after only recently finding it. Uh, Stefan, this, um, this conversation that you came into, that I tagged you into on the social media that uh, introduced us was, was hardly a, uh, a true example of any argument or 
uh, 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 that, that I've made or that I would make for or against any of the things that I, I believe that are um, truthful, factual, um, important to people that they may not understand, may not get already. And it's funny because that was sort of, you know, five, ten, twelve, you know, a dozen uh, insults after the main point. And what started that conversation uh, before it degraded into people telling me how wrong and how stupid I am, uh, <laughs> it was was the simple statement uh, that intellectual property uh, is as any other property is, in which it basically I already I, I stated this earlier, uh, and that's that notion that that's just a it's a circumstance. Hey, that's a Michael. Circumstance. Hey, yes, I'm sorry. I just got. Are we on right now? Yeah, we're there. Yeah. Are we on? We live. Yeah, we're back. Okay, I, I missed the beginning of that. I just got back. I thought we had. A okay, break. no, that's all right. I, yeah, there, no problem. Uh, what I was just saying is, is that our our initial meeting was no. Uh, example of a of, of the true conversations that that I try to have on these topics. This our conversation is much more a better example of the way that we try to talk about these things. That I try to approach them. Uh, what started that uh, degraded conversation that you you were brought into was me making the simple statement that intellectual property is like any other property. I, I basically already made this statement earlier uh, with you here was that that IP is a circumstance and that the reality is is that can you prove whatever claim is Oh there yeah, I see what you mean. Right? Yeah, I, I took yeah. that out of context. I thought you were saying it's is a type of property right. Yeah, I think what you meant was you know, we we have property that develops from the ability to defend it and things like that and you just mm -hmm. can't do that with with ideas. Yes. Well, and and here's and here was what I try to make is the bigger point because this bothers me a lot when it comes from libertarians and it comes from anarchists and and this is the disregard of other people's property whether or not we respect it whether we believe that we could deprive them from it or not they they recognize it as their property so as moral individuals we should not be taking it uh, enjoying it even if they don't lose the piece of property themselves without compensating them for it, respecting them for it, crediting them for it. This is the moral uh, uh, approach um, of the individual. This has nothing to do with what the, the, the actual property is. I, I hear you. Um, my views on that have changed over the years. I've become more and more uh, dis, uh, dismissive or, 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 or uh, in disagreement with the moral aspect. I think there's virtually nothing immoral – um, now, I would I would agree with you on attribution, which is giving someone credit. That's sort of a social convention that you, mm -hmm. you, you – and that's sort of a, an aspect of honesty. And by the way, that has to do with plagiarism too, which is – plagiarism has nothing to do with copyright or patent. Right. Um, right. People conflate these things. They, they, they say things like, oh, it's fraudulent to sell a book with my name on it or something like that. It's like, well, but we have fraud law already. So, okay, so copyright doesn't stop that. Right. And by the way, there's millions of books that are public domain now, like the Bible and Shakespeare mm -hmm. and Moby Dick, and you, there's no copyright on them. You're totally free to take the Bible and put your name on it if you want and try to sell it. Why does no one do that? Because they would look like an idiot. No one right. would I – mean, it's just not a real problem. Um, but um, if someone regards their ideas as their own, I think they really uh, – Benjamin Tucker, who's a famous uh, anarchist in the 1800s. I think it was 1800s. Um, <clears throat> he had a – he was anti-intellectual property too, unlike his um, – his, I think uh, his um, 
I think Spooner came after him and studied uh, was his sort of a follower. But Spooner was totally batshit insane on intellectual property. Uh, Spooner is hor- Spooner is horrible. He's as bad as Galambos or Ayn Rand or mm. Shulman on intellectual property. Completely confused, completely status, completely wrong. Uh, but 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 Benjamin Tucker was good. And he said, "Look, if you want if you want to, if you want your idea to yourself, keep it to yourself. In other words, mm. if you have information." And you want to keep it private, you're totally free to do that because you own your body and you own your house. You know, you can keep your papers secret. Um, if you have an invention, you can keep it secret. You can just make it in your garage and use it and you know, cut your grass or something, you know, whatever you want to do. But if you want to sell the product and you want to tell people, hey, I've got this new innovative feature on my mousetrap or my lawnmower, buy my lawnmower, you're telling to the world this new invention. You're giving them information. And if you publish a book, it's the same thing. You're making it public. That's what the word publish means. You're making it public. If you reveal information to people and then you complain that they're using it, <laughs> I mean, look, what you're complaining, what you're really doing is you're claiming ownership of their property. You're saying you can't use your own laser printer to print this book. Right. You can't use your own factory to make a lawnmower. Well, why not? They own their metal and their plastic and their rubber and their steel and their machines and their factory. They own their paper and their ink and their printing and their body and their home. They, they can use it however they wish as long as they don't commit a tort against you. That is, as long as they don't invade the borders of your own property. And by the way, I just I I I I, I, um, I just uh, came back from the Reno um, Libertarian Party convention. I just got involved with them a few years ago. And I was part of that, and I saw the Mises Caucus takeover, and I thought it was a glorious thing. And I helped to draft the um, the new the property rights plank, which if anyone's interested in this topic, they should go to lp.org, I think a slash platform. Go to the platform, go to section 2.1, and there is a new paragraph in there uh, or two which defines property rights and aggression as I just laid out in our earlier conversation. And it and that sort of distills the, the, what the libertarian understanding of property rights and justice is, which is you don't commit aggression, and aggression means using someone's property rights without their permission, and property rights are determined by first use and by um, contract and by, by tort, uh, like by re- reassignment as restitution for a crime right. uh, or a tort. That's it, and and so that's in there. So if anyone's curious, you can you can take a look at that. And if you understand it that way, you'll see that there's there is no room left for for intellectual property because it would be a violation of these principles. So I don't think it's immoral to copy what someone does. That's called free market competition, or to learn from them, or to improve on what they did. I do think you should try to give credit where that's appropriate. I don't think you have to footnote everything. It depends on the context, right? I don't think you should lie and pretend like you're the creator of an idea. Uh, and by the way, if there's no intellectual property, the incentive to lie is reduced because right. right now people don't want to admit that someone else was the inventor because they're afraid that they'll be admitting they're violating intellectual property rights. Mm-hmm. So if if you know that you're totally free to use someone else's idea, there's no reason not to admit that they came from them because you're not doing anything wrong by using their idea. So just you can be honest about it then. Well, I okay, so I think that leads into a, a another perfect area of discussion in this because part of the problem is a misunderstanding of a new of, of new not really so much anymore uh, of t- digital technologies and and things that could p- provide new definitions of property they don't 
not, that's not the argument I'm making. I, I don't believe that they do, but people think that they do. They think that they that because something is digital that there's this new type of property, but that's that's just not true. That's not the case at all. And I believe you're absolutely right when it comes to these physical things. You sort of see you know, Chinese right. factories making uh, Gucci purses or something like that. Well, the fact is, is that um, they're supplying those things to a market of people who would Correct. never could have would Correct. have bought a Gucci bag. They're not denying them any property. They're not stealing any, and and they're not defrauding anyone either. And they're not defrauding them because everybody knows fake they're purse, fake. You know that it's fake. <laughs> yeah, you do because you bought it from a guy for sixty bucks instead of six hundred, and Michael Kors is you know misspelled. Um, it, it, so let's not pretend like it, I, I've never done that. So. So let's let's set physical way, things that's, aside. That's, trade, that's trademark law, by the way, a third type of intellectual property, which is also illegitimate, although yes. it did evolve on the common law, unlike legislated uh, systems. So trademark law is bad, too. It's not nearly as harmful and destructive as patent and copyright law are. Well, it, it, not, you're right, yeah. I, I, it, all of these things, you can kind of see some potential for why they become – what they are, but then it. it, it well, it, I, I would I would agree with that for trademark and trade secret law. There are right. there are some core of reasoning why they came about. Yeah. Patent and patent and copyright patent came about from mm -hmm. pure protectionism and yeah. mercantilism, and copyright came about from uh, from a censorship of speech and and the press. Um, so those... and, and a misunderstanding of of what property really entails, and and, and what uh, 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 what depriving somebody of property might be. So looking at the digital files and talking about some of these things, it's funny because I'll find the same person uh, who would tell me that uh, that I you couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't copy a Bitcoin, will copy somebody's MP3 and play it. And, and this falls into this weird category of, of this morality question that I, I have for people, and it's that, okay, so there's no money – in taking necessarily in remarketing somebody else's music, especially now as cheap as it is. So th that question of taking somebody's CD and copying it and, and selling it to somebody is, is kind of a moot point. You wouldn't do that to an artist you would respect. And now, of course, there's no real money in it because the distribution of these things is too easy uh, over computers. So this weird question of making money on distributing somebody else's digital file is kind of a moot point already. So it, then it comes down to the question of, well, did you steal it? Did you breach my property, even my server? Uh, which is a real piece of property to Correct. take my property off of it and then distribute it. That would be theft. That would, Correct. Uh, yeah. Correct. Uh, and so uh, these are the arguments that I make about these things, and people don't listen to the whole argument, and they think <laughs> that I want to uh, have government protect property, intellectual property in particular, or, or any property. I encourage most people to to protect their own property. Uh, and, and I've discussed uh, I, even one of the few things that I'll put to writing um, everybody who listens to the show knows I'm a geek for the writers, people like yourself who take their ideas and really I, I get away with it here in this live environment. I can say stupid things and wrong things and just write it off to in the moment. Uh, <laughs> you take the time to, to put the stuff down on paper and and um, put it out there for people to analyze. You, you better do it right. You better make sure it's, it's good. So when I do uh, put some things down, uh, I, I think that they are 
are, are solid statements about whatever it is I'm trying to talk about. And, and I've shared a few things on the question of sort of courts and justice in, in the absence of the state, as well as uh, on, the, on the property rights thing. Here, let me ask you this on the, on the property rights thing. Uh, do you agree with Dave Champion on the, uh, on the show your receipt thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know if that okay. is. Uh, so we go to Walmart, right? Everybody goes to Walmart, and we know that on the way out, well, the guy might ask us for a receipt, especially if we have something that's not inside a bag, mm-hmm. like a bag of dog food or something like that that you can't fit inside one of their bags. And they might stop you on the, the way out and ask mm-hmm. you for the receipt. And and to, a lot of people are arguing that, oh, it's a violation of rights. It's a violation of this, that, and the other thing. To me, again, it's a, it's a moral principle in in one – knowing that I'm going into Walmart that they might ask to see my receipt. Two, I'm buying their product. I haven't left the building yet. The receipt is the proof that I've paid for their product. What's the problem with them asking to see it? What's the problem with me holding it in my hand and and showing it to them on the way out the door? Um, It just it saddens me to see anarchists, libertarians, right people um, screaming at some poor Walmart employee just because they asked him for a receipt yeah, because I, they don't understand this property rights thing. I hadn't I hadn't heard about that. I could see mm. some libertarians doing that because they have this sort of simple simple view that um, if you own something, uh, you know, like like they'll argue against intellectual property on bad grounds. Like they'll say, well, mm-hmm. if I buy, a, because some people say IP can be justified by contract, although it's not really a contract. And and but then the people that agree with me about IP, they'll say, well. If, if I buy a, a product like a car and, and there's a contract with, with the company not to use it in certain ways, that violates my property rights. Well, no, it doesn't, not if you have a contract with them. So uh, and I, so I think in the case of um, um, uh, of this receipt issue, you can look at it a couple of ways. Number one, you could say – the store could say – I mean one bad part about it is that it, this is enforced by the government cops ultimately. That's that's a problem with it, but, but the, the, the pure idea of asking to see a receipt – you could say that Walmart owns the premises, and they're, they're conditioning your use of it in a certain way. Like, you know, they're saying you can't use this door to leave unless you um, prove that you own the, the material you're taking with you, the products you're taking with you. Or the other way to look at it is the contract of sale is not final until you until you show a receipt. So you could say, well, I don't really own the products I bought until I actually leave the store after having shown the receipt. In other words, hey. there's, a two, there's a two-step process. You have to pay for it. And then you have to prove your prove the sale. You have to prove the payment with a receipt on the way out. Those two things have to happen before the ownership finally transfers to you. And if you leave before that, you're taking their property. So it is it is that type of stuff. Well, or they certainly could claim that you're taking their property, but then what would you do? You'd show up at arbitration with the receipt and show that you didn't take the property. So. <laughs> Somebody's calling. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I, I do it myself. You can't turn them off anymore. This is the real world. We all know phones ring. Uh, sometimes the calls are important. Um, no, it, that it, that's 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 right. Here's the thing that I say about this it, because they, they, this is what happens. They get legalistic. They start to say, oh, well, it's a contract. No, I didn't sign a contract. Well, you don't have to sign a contract. There are many things that we recognize, many contractual agreements that we recognize without signing them every single day that we go about our business. And that includes walking onto a retailer's property or anybody else's property 
no, they don't have the right to um, uh, to abuse you or even detain you. Some places they do, some places they don't. Uh, but here's the point of all that. As moral people, as people who respect property rights, isn't it just easier to say, here's my receipt, thank you. I, I, I respect the fact that you're trying to prevent people from stealing your property. Isn't that the real? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you muted yourself. Yeah, of course. And if the policy is unreasonable um, and and uh, invasive, then – Don't go there. Then free market competition will, will weed that practice out, and you yes. go to a store with a more reasonable policy. Yes. Um, yeah, the, the thing the, the thing is some people – all right, some people have absorbed too much what I call legal positivism, mm -hmm. the, the, the state's notion of law, which is that law has to be legislated and written down in the law books. That's how mm -hmm. Hicks say. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll say, well, it ain't, it ain't illegal to, to – to, to, to not pay your taxes because show me where in the law books it says I got to pay my taxes. So, which is which is a stupid argument. But the the point is they're they're thinking of law as words written down by by some authority on paper, and that's just not what law is. Law is the developed set of principles that develop over time as the result of people settling their disputes in in an attempt to do justice. Right. So, but the point is it's impossible to avoid legal defaults and presumptions and implicit or tacit contracts because it's not possible to have everything in a contract. Yeah. It's impossible to have a complete contract, and by the way, contracts don't have to be written, which is how people are thinking. They yeah. say, show me where I signed on the dotted mm -hmm. line to do this. That's like that's not how contracts work. Um, you know, If you go into a restaurant and order a meal and you don't ask how much the state costs and they say, they give you a bill for $20, then you have to pay. Uh, and you can't say, well, I didn't sign on a dotted line. No, they can't ask you for $1,000 for the stake. It has to be reasonable. But there's a default. Look, the very idea of property, as I said, it stems from this mutual recognition of rights, which presupposes the ability to communicate and language. It presupposes that. And language always has these default assumptions, right? Uh, so, for example, um, if you live in a neighborhood where it's customary for neighbors to walk up to each other's doors to to ask a question like, hey, uh, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Um, then you you can't just take your shotgun and blow them away when they knock on your door because you've given them implicit permission to use your door for that limited purpose. If you want to change because, – because that's the default assumption, the communicatory assumption of your property rights exercise in that neighborhood. If you want to change it, you need to put up a fence and a sign saying – no one's allowed on my on my property at all. I'm a her I'm a, I'm a you know I'm a, a not an unneighborly hermit, and I'll blow your head off if you step a foot on my property. You have to, you have to make that clear that you're changing what everyone understands. Uh, you know, if a guy's been on a date with a girl ten times and he kisses her at the end of every date, he doesn't need to ask her permission the tenth time because he assumes he's going to have her permission. She can change her mind, but she has to let him know, right? She has to say, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the digital things here real quick because I want to ask you another outright question. Uh, is is Bitcoin just – we'll just stick with Bitcoin. We, there are other uh, tokens and things out there that have utility associated with them and, and newer technologies that advance, advance beyond Bitcoin. But to answer the Bitcoin bros um, question – is Bitcoin fiat? Um, 
in a way it is. It's it's not a state fiat, but right, um, right. Yeah, but it's, people it's, it's, don't understand that because I make that. I, that's one of the weird things that people come back to me with is they ignore the economic definition of fiat for the um the the king's definition of fiat that creation of that by, by decree as opposed to the economic one which is in, intrinsically inherently valueless it, it's just that it's just that the bitcoin has the a, a couple of unique principles it okay. um uh, it can't be inflated and it okay. can't be censored easily and it's decentralized so uh that's that's the key features of it but if you think about it anything that's money even if a even a commodity like something like gold or seashells, something that has in what we call in, what some people call intrinsic value, which is not right. the right term, but something that has a commodity or a use value, like go. in a barter society, like gold has some kind of uses, like this jewelry or ornamentation. Um, when something becomes money, it acquires an extra value because of its monetary use. So let's uh, let's say gold was the world's money. Um, you know, probably ninety percent or more of the value of gold as money. It comes because of its monetary use. So when people say uh, go, Bitcoin is not backed by anything, well, no money is ever or can ever be backed by anything because whatever is money, most of its value comes from its fact that it's part of a monetary network. So if it's if gold stopped being used, if you had all of your wealth in gold, and gold stopped being used as money, you would lose ninety percent of your wealth because it would just be revert to its 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 um its mon its non monetary use, right? It's uh, it's it's uh, it's commodity use. So nothing is ever backed. So Bitcoin is simply something that is like a pure money because there's no non-monetary use for Bitcoin. So instead of 90% of the value being in its monetary aspect, it's 100%. So what? There's no difference. Uh, I see what you're getting. But, okay. but when people say um, – when Bitcoiners say something like, oh, I own my Bitcoin or there's, it's a per perfect form of property rights, um, that – that is a little bit erroneous. I discussed this in a talk I gave a couple years ago. It's on my podcast. It's called Nobody Owns Bitcoin. Um, property rights, as I mentioned earlier, stem from the, the possibility of conflict among people. So we need to use scarce resources in the world as tools to survive, and when there's other people, they, they might be able to interfere with our use. So we have property rights to stop them from interfering with our use. And the more widely property rights are protected and defended and respected, the more secure you are in your ability to use this resource. So the purpose of, of property rights as a legal thing is to give you the ability to use the resource. Now, Bitcoin is technically designed so that it's almost impossible for someone to use your Bitcoin without your permission because of the encryption scheme. So the ability to keep your Bitcoin from someone else tampering with it is in a way like a property right, but it's actually not a property right because Bitcoin is simply uh, an abstract conceptual way that we think of the entries on this ledger, and the ledger is distributed, which means it's just information stored on many people's computers around the world, thousands, tens of thousands of computers, right? Node, node operators and miners. Um, and so the information is just the way that their hard drives and their memory devices are arranged, but they own those computers. So if you were to own a Bitcoin, that would mean you own other people's computers. Just like in the case of intellectual property, if you own an idea, that would give you the right to control other people's resources. But you don't have the right to tell other people which Bitcoins are, you know, which ledger, which 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 blockchain ledger uh, uh, pattern is stored on their hard drives. That's all done by consensus, and people are free to use whatever consensus they want. Um, so you don't legally own bitcoins, although the government treats it that way so that they can tax it. 
Hmm. Which, by the way, is another danger. All these people that say, oh, we want Bitcoin to be recognized as property. Like, uh, sure. you know, be, be careful what you wish for because you might get it. And now the IRS will tax it, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's exactly what they do. Yes, please beg for us to recognize it and protect it because as soon as they do that, they can tax it. Uh, yeah. That, yeah that, in fact, you know, this is the origin of. Uh, one of the reasons we have property, uh, real property records, but this remember, I don't know if you heard of the Domesday Book back in the kind of 1400s or something in England, when there was all these surveys done of where property rights were. They put rocks down. People they they had all these records about who owned which tract of land, mm. and everyone thinks that was the the emergence of capitalism, the beginning of property rights. But of course, the reason it was done was for taxes. It was so you yeah. could, it was so that you could know who owns what, so you could tax them, tax them for it, and tax them heavy for it. Uh, do you what about um, what about NFTs while we're talking about digital stuff? Do you think this is a a, a fantastic uh, potential for a new technology for artists? I mean, do you I, I'm sure you understand it enough, but well, I don't think other people do. I, I don't I'll, think other people realize that how you can attach. Of your your record and stay attached to your creation inside that digital world. It's something that they don't understand yet, and how that it actually kind of solves this question of digital property or not, because you created and it's traceable right back to you, and the blockchain allows you to collect. This is something that can be done with NFTs uh, for the original artist, regardless of how much further down the chain or who owns um, that piece of property i'm I'm doing the nixon quotes thing well uh, excuse me get a little choke there <laughs> you didn't get your it didn't come back on okay so there i just I, uh I, I just tested negative for covid this morning so i mm. just got i just got over covid the second time <laughs> so i have a little lingering cough so i was trying to wow. get that um um, let me say this. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my opinion, but I, I do I do admire people who know their limitations and don't pretend to be experts when they're not. I, I am an expert on some things like intellectual property law and intellectual property policy from a libertarian point of view. But um, and I'm a Bitcoin enthusiast. I'm a maximalist. Um, um, but I, but on the rest of it, I only have opinions. But I'll tell you what they are. I'm extremely skeptical of this entire. I'm, I'm skeptical of any any use of, block, of the blockchain except as the backbone of Bitcoin and Bitcoin okay. alone. I think uh, the blockchain is an extremely inefficient and um, uh, 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 database system, but it's useful only for Bitcoin. Um, I, I do not have any faith whatsoever in this enthusiasm people have for smart contracts. I don't think it's possible to have no, a smart no. contract. I think it's it's not a contract. And it's not smart because we right. don't have artificial intelligence, and oracles are not trustworthy, and, and you can't use an automated vendor vending machine type system to do any kind of sophisticated real contract. There might be a few financial things you can do, but I don't see a general use for it. I don't think it solves a problem. I think Bitcoin solves a problem, and the problem is that we need money because it solves a problem of a barter system. But the money has been taken over by the government and it's corrupted. It can basically be inflated and censored. So Bitcoin solves the problem of a corrupted current fiat money system by coming up with money that can't be censored and can't be inflated. So it solves a big problem because it gives us sound money again. But I don't think that smart contracts solve a problem because we have contracts and they work pretty well already. So it's not a revolutionary thing. 
And I just don't see how you're going to have an automated system that's going to affect real property rights and real things. So I'm extremely skeptical of smart contracts, and I'm also personally skeptical of NFTs because I think it's sort of this kind of a – it's like a pet rock thing. It's, like, it's a fad. I don't think it solves any kind of real problem. Um, that, uh, okay. Man, we gotta we gotta go. I told you I'd let you go. Can you do just a couple more minutes? Sure, I can do another segment. All right, cool. Uh, we will come back, Stephen Kinsella. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. All right, so we're going into the fourth quarter, and Stefan Kinsella has agreed to to hang out for a couple more minutes here and just talk about a couple more things. I. We were talking about the NFT thing, and and I actually I kind of want to leave that where it's at because I think I think we agree um, really across the the board on the questions about whether or not these things uh, have a true future or a true true utility. I think there are some um, interesting potentials. Again, the thing about artists being able to create something and and have it ch- chained back to the something digital and have it chained back to them. Uh, forever, even if it exchanges hands, is a pretty neat, interesting thing to do. And and when it comes to stuff like that, I I own a comic book shop. I own thousands of comic books uh, myself personally. It, that's one of those collector type things. It's it's you either right. you're into it or you're not. Well, the, the the I mean, and I I'm not a deep expert on how the technology works, but um, my one concern I have about it is is that um, unless you're using the the blockchain for Bitcoin itself, I, I don't know how you can guarantee the blockchain is going to be around forever because I'm a maximalist. I think every other shitcoin is going to go away at a certain point. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, unless there's an economic incentive for people to keep mining it, which is you have with the one remaining currency, which will be Bitcoin, I believe, I don't see how the blockchains are going to – how do you know they're going to be around in 20 years You know, for, for, for the NFTs? But maybe I, maybe I misunderstand the technology. So that's one concern I would have about that. Well, that's, I guess that comes to the question of uh, uh, decentralization and whether or not they, we really own these properties if we take them and stick them in our uh, wallet, as it were. If we, can we take them and, and seriously um, ever plug them back into something and recreate them without using other people's computers, without using other uh, resources that we don't have? That will be, the, be the, the, the long-term question about it, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I think it's neat because you you're i'm sure you're familiar you own several domain names yourself i'm sure you're familiar with that process how we don't actually own them correct, correct. whereas with like the the sort of crypto domains i keep it in my wallet and i can always point it to a place where where files are stored that create correct. a web page correct. and so yeah so that's that's really neat uh, but but, but by about. the way, uh, we don't own domains. However, trademark law um, has influenced something called the Uniform D- Dispute Resolution Procedure (UDRP), mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which allows people that have trademarks in what so-called famous marks to steal to take your domain from you. Like if you have TomCruise.com, Tom Cruise could take it from you. Right. Right. <laughs> so which so in other words, tra- uh, intellectual property undermines it turns what is not a property right into a property right. Yeah. To take a contractual right you have away from you, isn't that in that neat how that happens? Uh, it, that sounds very statist. Uh, I it wonder is. why. <laughs> yeah. um, but because because intellectual property corrupts everything, and in fact, you know, if if you uh, lots of websites are taken down by um, the government when they're accused of hosting so-called 
pirated links or mm. whatever. In other words, mm. uh, speech that the government doesn't like. Yeah. Censorship. It's pure censorship. It is. Uh, no, it absolutely is. And and they, they use any any manner of justification for it, whether it be legal or moral or, or whatever, moralistic, I should say. Uh, I, I, okay, so while I got you for another couple minutes here, one more point, because we I, we just touched on it ultimately, and that's in this idea of NFTs or comic books or, or even Bitcoin. Uh, I call Bitcoin a digital collectible because it, it mm-hmm. behaves just like collectibles do in the marketplace. You can't – you have to – NFT, only, sorry, NFTs or Bitcoin? Which one? Uh, a Bitcoin. Uh, okay. digi- NFTs are, uh, of course, a digital collectible with it, okay. without needing to express them that way. I say Bitcoin is that way because its behavior is that way as well. Um, you have to take it into a specialized market and convert it into another currency to be able to spend it in most places. Oh, but that's only that's only right now. I mean, if right now, ever, no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 And it, and it, and that won't that won't happen. That won't happen for NFTs. They'll always be that way. That that's Correct. the hope in the future. And, of and they're and they're unique. So I guess you know the the thing about um, and this gets back to the fungibility issue, like. Um, mm-hmm. For something to be money, it has to be a commodity. A commodity means there's a, a uniform supply of something which has more or less indistinguishable units. Now, right. indistinguishable doesn't mean objectively in the nature of things. It means how humans regard it. So uh, you know, if you have gold, you have gold coins, in, in terms of physics in the universe, e- each gold coin is distinct from the other. They have different age, different – structure different composition every atom is different than the other but from our point of view they're functionally similar so that we regard them as 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 homogenous units of a commodity which is and that's the fungibility and that that ties into what austrians call indifference and so you're indifferent as to which one like you regard them the same like if you have dollar bills in your wallet they have they have different serial numbers but we don't care uh so the question is because you can trace each 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 satoshi separately on the blockchain Theoretically, you know, we don't have to regard them as the same. I mean, it's it's up to us. And the government could regard them as, you know, some are tainted because they're part of crime or whatever. Oh yeah. So, so there's nothing inherent in it that makes it fungible. But so far, we regard them as sufficiently fungible, so that it's a commodity. So that most people are indifferent as to which Bitcoin they're getting. Although, yeah. you know, I might value a Bitcoin transferred to me from Elon Musk more than one transferred to me by you. But so if I you re- can keep track of it. If I can keep track of it, I might regard it as a digital collectible, but that's just a subjective preference. Oh, right, uh, and and so that was the point, exactly. We're getting into subjective and objective uh, valuations correct. of things, and, and this is another place where people misunderstand me when I talk about subjective and objective valuation, because, of course, every valuation is subjective. Correct. However, correct. there is an absolute relatively objective value for everything i can just go right on the internet and type in something and i will find price after price after price many of those in the marketplace are almost in agreement with each other but the um, bigger I point mean, wait wait yeah, let, well, wait, let me, wait, say, let let me quickly, finish the bigger point oh, okay, okay. Go, ahead, go ahead go ahead the the bigger point is is that if if i go into the marketplace with my subjective value and ignore the objective or subjective valuation of an item in the marketplace or i disrespect it is the way i actually term it uh i will leave the marketplace without that thing 
Correct. Uh, yeah. And, and that being the important point of subjective and objective. My Correct. subjective valuation, while it is subjective and important to me, has absolutely no effect on the market whatsoever unless I'm involved in a transaction correct. for correct. a market item. Thank you. <laughs> That's correct. That's, Although I, I would say, to, to, I mean, in, in casual or informal talk, it's fine to talk about yes. subjective and objective value. But technically, if you're like talking in Austrian terms, um, value is inherently subjective. Yes. Um, it's demonstrated in action. It's, it's like demonstrated preference. But um, what you're talking about is not the objective value. It's the it's the price, and the price is an objective fact. It's the price that someone is offering or that it was just paid for something. So yeah. prices in money terms, um, they arise because of subjective values, but they are not value themselves. Mises points this out that that money money prices are not a measure of value, but this is commonly how we think about it. We talk about the fair market value of something, right? Right. So, in casual or informal talk, it's fine as long as you're clear that you're talking about the prices. Yes. Which do not measure value. It's just um, – It just is a, what it is, yes. right. And, and But that's but that's what happens is when I, when I say something like that is that people go to the prices. That's it. They say, well, uh, this is too much. Uh, I'm not going to pay that price. Well, great. That's that's your subjective valuation of it. But I'm look. I'm telling you right now, I can go on to eBay and I can find yes. a relatively objective value price of of an item. And if my own uh, impression of that is is, I if it just doesn't match up, then I I can't buy it. I can't. I, well, I can't get it. The, you know, Mises points out the the entire purpose of private property rights and a free market, which generates objective fair market prices, free mm -hmm. market prices, right. is that monetary prices are what he calls an accessory of appraisement. In other words, having cardinal values, cardinal numbers that that attach to the the, the market prices of things right. allows you to think in those terms and to compare things and to right. calculate for the future. It allows you to make decisions. By you can compare things that are otherwise distinct and unique and heterogeneous and different, and you don't, and you have a way to do. Well, that's the point of money, right? That's what money Correct. is. The is whole money, of money is... is to is to allow is to allow people to over. Is, is, there's two fundamental purposes of money. One is to overcome the problem of barter, which is the double coincidence of wants problem. Um, and yes. with, with someone who oh, but, wants something doesn't okay, have expand, well, expound on that real quick because I explain this to people and they, they miss <laughs> the point on this one too. It's obvious that money is a tool to facilitate exchange, whatever it is, in the absence of directly tradable Correct. or desired goods or services. Well, so there's there's two there's two problems that money solves. One is that in a barter society, um, uh, it's difficult to trade because if, if you have something to sell and you want to buy something else the guy you want to buy it from might not want what you have to sell like mm -hmm. you know um if i ha if i make shoes and i want if i want uh, beef the guy that's selling beef might not need shoes yeah <laughs> so we you need to find a third something one universal thing everything trades into and that's what money emerges from and then the second problem it solves is the inability to calculate uh, when you don't have monetary prices and calculate means when we plan for the future, we engage in long-term action. We try to decide what to do with our time and our resources at our disposal now to make a profit in the future, some kind of profit, some some kind of successful action. And the problem is there's like any number of actions you can take, and so you have to compare them. You have to decide which one to do. You have to decide how to use your resources. But it's hard to decide because you can't compare these future projects because they're not they're they're not homogenous. They're heterogeneous. So 
I might be able to build a bridge or I might be able to build an airport or I might be able to build a factory or build a farm. How do I compare? How do I know which one is the right one to do? Um, so you can't compare them because you can only compare cardinal units or numbers. So but you can it, compare the return on on the investment that you would make in one no, over the other. Not not, not if there's not money because you still can't. Well, no, that's what I mean. The yeah. only in terms of money you can do. Correct. That. Yeah. So money yeah. allows you to compare projects in numerical terms. Yes. So it's, it's really a problem of arithmetic. So money yes. solves those two problems: the barter problem and the problem of calculation. So when we have money, it allows us to trade more efficiently and allows us to plan more efficiently by calculating. Um, and by the way, this thing you mentioned about uh, about how people confuse what you say about objective value and, and prices. Um, a similar mistake is made with intellectual property, and that is people conflate value with property rights. So they'll say something like, well, how can you say um, ideas aren't property because they're valuable? Like I can sell them on the market and they're valuable. <laughs> so what they're, what they're assuming is that there's a property right in value, and but there's not. But they're not no. because pro because value is a subjective phenomenon, uh, right? And it hasn't come to you yet. Value is basically the way other people regard the things that you own. So you own the physical integrity yes. of your property, but you don't own how other people view it. So, for example, if Thank I have <laughs> if I have a nice rose garden at my house, um, my neighbor might value looking at it every morning, but if I tear it down. So the the value of his property goes down now because he's not around a beautiful rose. <laughs> but, but he doesn't have a property right in that value of sure. his home. He only has a property right in the physical integrity of his home. Which well, is then, then take that to the next extrapolation, and that's if I don't mow my lawn. It, de it devalues his property. Yeah, so yeah. Which, is, which is why some people enter homeowner association agreements where they have certain minimum requirements mm -hmm. like that. And a lot of libertarians bristle at that too. They think oh, my a, gosh. They think it's a violation <laughs> of your property rights. or you know. But oh, I love that. As soon as somebody – as soon as some libertarian or uh, anarchist comes to me and says something about – uh, I don't agree with the contract I signed in the in the uh, the community that I live in. I'm just saying yeah. you done lost all credibility the, the, with the, me. These libertarians. So here's the problem with these some anarchists is they're lifestyle anarchists and they come. They're basically <laughs> they're basically giving ammunition to our critics. Our critics say sure. you got you anarchists don't believe in law and order and rules. Mm -hmm. And our, our response is no, no, we just believe in private rules. But you have these anarchists who hate even private rules and hierarchy. They're sort yep. of giving. They, they're giving uh, support to our critics. Um, in fact, you know what we should say is that there is a there's a need for natural authority and hierarchy in society, um, and the government has co-opted and corrupted these things. Yes. And if you get the government out of these things, we, we would replace it with a civil society and civil institutions and private institutions. You know, if the government gets out of school and roads, we would have private schools and roads. They would just be better. Um, but we don't say there would be none. <laughs> it's the same thing with law and with authority. Uh, you're going to have more hierarchies and elites and authority figures um, uh, in in a private society. It, it, wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be absent that. So you're going to have um, private contracts and, and, and receipts being asked for at Walmart and, 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 and homeowner associations and, 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 and uh, non-disclosure agreements signed sometime where you're not allowed to give information out yeah. that you've got. Uh, you know, like if you're someone's lawyer or doctor, you're not supposed to blab the secret details that the guy gave you, your customer, your client gave you, you know. Um, yeah.
Well, this is this is my argument when people ask me anything about the the, the question of of courts and justice in a, a, a absence of the state in an anarchist society. I I, I challenge those people and suggest that well, what you're really asking is is this how does justice work how how do these things already work because they wouldn't fundamentally change in the absence of the state there would still be things like business contracts and, and personal contracts it people tell me oh well corporations are a creation of the state no they're not there's something that the state has taken over and I agree, made agree completely agree yeah. completely i'll send you another link on that too I, that's another dis- debate i've had with li- left libertarians and with anarchists they uh, they hate corporations i think it's because they hate capitalism and they hate natural yes. hierarchies um and they don't understand the law what the, what the, what they 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 to their credit they oppose what what they perceive as a as a government granted privilege okay right which is the problem with patent and copyright they're government granted privileges monopoly privilege grants but um but they're just wrong about the way the law works in legal theory and libertarian theory because it, in brief um um Corporate corporate status is not a privilege; it's a curse. Because what the government does is they say, yeah. "You need you need our permission to become a corporation," which which just means to go to do business under one name and to have um and to have perpetual duration. That's all it means. Um, <clears throat> which you have the right to do without government's permission. But the government says, "Well, we have to give you this special privilege, which is letting you use a name and and, and live forever if you want." And in in exchange for that, we're going to uh, we're going to regulate you, and we're going to double tax you. So there's corporate income tax because you're legally a person under the income tax law now. Yeah, um, no, it's a double-edged sword, and and it's weird the way people treat it. It's weird the way other people, sort of moral people, anarchist libertarians ignore. This has been really fantastic. I again, Stefan, I really appreciate you coming and hanging out and taking the time, and then hanging out extra as well. Um, it's been a fantastic conversation, and it, 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 I knew it would be. Uh, I, you're, you're just a well-respected guy, and and from talking with you, it, it's there's no question as to why you are. You're obviously reasonable. You're obviously using, um, uh, you know, those those God-given tools uh, and the ones that you worked up on your own to um, really understand and analyze and and make sense of the of the world around you and and get along with those around you uh, using that that understanding and that that other, other that sense of I, I don't know what it is it's morality or or whatever I, somebody was accusing me of of misusing the term morality and i should have been saying ethics and and i said ah come on that's just the commercial version of the word for mor- for yeah. morality so yeah <laughs> it's nitpicking yeah it's nitpicking yeah <laughs> No, so I, I appreciate it. It's been great talking to you, and, and um, I, I hope that people will get a lot out of it when they when they listen to this and they they hear the archive and and uh, as the podcast goes out across all the the major streaming platforms. Because uh, you know, all my, I, I was saying, all of my guests, all my conversations are important to me, but they they're not necessarily necessarily always important to. Uh, the listener, and I think the conversation with you is to them because I think your your name uh, has some gravitas. It carries some weight, and I think de- deservedly so. So again, thanks for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Yeah, anytime, anytime at all. Uh, as for the rest of you, 
um, listening live. We, we got just another minute, and uh, I am going to uh, tell you to go to TowardAnarchy.com. Look for July 3rd. You'll find the links there. You'll find the, the link to StephanKinsella.com. You'll find the link to the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. You'll also find a couple other links that I shared. A quote, uh, just because you do not take an interest in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you from Pericles. Uh, is that why you got involved with the, the Libertarian Party after all this time? Um, yeah, I've been a I've been a uh, I voted Libertarian when I voted, um, but I've right, never sure. been a member because I'm I'm skeptical of of, the, of of electoral politics. But I joined when the Mises Caucus people, Tom Woods, and these guys joined about four years ago because I figure you know they are my people and they're calling themselves Libertarians, so we might as well make sure that they run actual Libertarian candidates, not people like Bill Weld, and that they oppose mm. this COVID regime bullshit, mm. <laughs> which they didn't do. So I just want – if there's going to be a libertarian party, I want them to to say libertarian things, which that was the reason I got involved. Well, that's great because the libertarian party – I mean this this show speaks of it. Um, <coughs> this show is about anarchy, but it also speaks to those libertarians because I, the toward anarchy um, phrase is something that David Nolan and, and others used early before the formation of the party. Uh, in their discussion about what they should, you know, their logos, their mottos, and things like that, and what they should be working towards, and well, they should be working toward anarchy—the the maximum amount of freedom. Thank totally you. agree. Totally agree. I view libertarianism as anarchist, and anarchy has to be libertarian to be true anarchy. So I believe I'm an anarcho-libertarian. So I agree with you. Love it. Thank you, Stefan. I really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. I'll I'll be in touch and let you know about the archive and everything. Thanks much. Take care. And uh, we'll see the rest of you next week for a, a, a phone show.